0: This is Amanda, and this is Rachel, and this is Vocal
1: Perspective. Welcome to this week's episode of Vocal Perspective. This is Rachel. I'm here obviously with my co-host Amanda and we are so thrilled to be joined today by the former artistic director from UCF Voicebox, Christine Sack. Hey Christine, how are you? Hey, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. We're excited to have you too. <laughs> I like to start always in the same spot which is giving people sort of a insight into your connection to acapella. So if you could talk a little bit about your sort of your acapella history.
2: Yeah, so I I did not do any acapella until college, and I got into UCF, and I, as a freshman, got into Voicebox. I don't know how, because I forgot all of my words in my audition, and <laughs> it, was, uh, it was pretty rough, but I, I got in somehow and uh, was with Voicebox for like four years, and I've been the director and assistant music director for two years, artistic director for the other two years. And then uh, most of my experiences with that, but also I do go to festivals and I teach at festivals. I've been teaching for a couple of years now. So
1: I think you're selling yourself short since anybody who would (laughs) have an opportunity to hear you sing on your on your YouTube channel or in other places, you have a lovely, really beautiful, soulful voice. So I think you're selling yourself short on how you (laughs) got A little
2: bit. (laughs) Thank you so much. Yeah, well, you know, four years ago was a little bit (laughs) different.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I've grown a lot with with my uh, experience in acapella. So a lot of collegiate acapella groups tend to have a music director and then they'll have like an exec board or an e-board with a president and things like that. We don't often hear about an artistic director for a collegiate group. What was your role? What was what did artistic director entail?
2: Yeah, I mean, I get that question a lot. I was in an audition uh, one time and and a girl, you know, we we went down the line of like, oh, I'm the blah, blah, blah of this group. And a girl who's auditioning said, what does an artistic director do? And I was like, (laughs) you're not in. (laughs) It's like, oh, an artistic director in our group, the context of voice box was that I was in charge of the kind of like the artistic vision. And that comes down to a lot of different facets of the group from like the way that we dress, the way that we perform on stage, our choreography, the song choices, the emotional relevancy of like a song to the choreo, to the the theme that we're doing for a uh, a competition. So it was kind of like this nebulous overarching like this person has a good vision of what this group should be going towards. And all of those decisions, we think she should have a pretty big say in, or sometimes the final say in. So basically, you know, from approving people's outfits for stage and sometimes social media stuff that we did often delegate that to another person, because some people were really good at graphics. And I'm not a graphic designer, I'm an illustrator, (laughs) which are two different things. But yeah, it it was kind of like an overarching, like, it fit for our group a lot, because we're not just a cover group. Like, we didn't just like cover songs, and that was it. Um, We had a pretty solid vision of like how we wanted to be perceived, and how we wanted to come across to an audience, and what kind of stories we wanted to tell. So it worked that we had somebody directing that vision, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I I think more groups could benefit from that. You need a president that can kind of take care of the details and you need a music director and for all of those creative pieces that really need to be done and tied together, it takes a lot of the pressure off those other two roles so everyone can kind of focus on their lane. I think that's a good idea.
2: Yeah. I think the other thing about the role of artistic director was that in a lot of groups, the music director functions as that artistic director. The music director usually is the one who, you know, I mean, people do democratic votes and things on on song choice and stuff, but a lot of the times the music director is the final say in a lot of stuff like that. And in our group, we had that music director who kind of took that lead. Again, like I was only artistic director for two out of the four years, and we only had that position for two out of the four years that I was in the group because... It started becoming obvious that with me and Harrison I was a big role in that decision-making process and it made sense for our group and for me specifically to like delegate that to another person whereas in some groups it's not like that some groups function really well with just the music director making those decisions or with, like, the vote, or with the collaboration of everybody all together, and they don't really need it, or they don't have somebody who specifically everybody looks to and goes, what's your opinion? I've noticed that a lot, where some groups just don't have it, and that's totally fine. Different things work for different groups, so. Absolutely. I wonder
1: if you can talk a little bit about your vision of the group and the direction you sought to take Voicebox in as your role in Artistic Director.
2: Well, I always start a vision with inspiration, So if I think about some groups that really inspired me at the time that I was in Voicebox and kind of pushing us towards that, I remember taking a lot of inspiration from groups like Aurora and Mix and also Lark, which are sister groups. Groups like that that were even creating their own stuff and writing their own music and songs and that were pushing the boundaries, the limits of, of a cappella and taking it more of of like we are artists on stage and not just a singing club. So I, I really I took inspiration from some pretty big groups, some pretty amazing <laughs> groups and I really like the idea of voice box being like this like powerhouse on stage that also like just drew people in with a with an interesting story that came across really well.
0: Always you were all were some of my favorite one of my favorite groups to watch, especially in competition. Thank you so much.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So speaking of competition, I mean, sort of Amanda alluded to that, like, that's something that you guys did as a group. And it's something that you valued, whether it was at festivals, or at more sort of like the ICCA type thing. So I wonder, like, if you could talk a little bit about what you feel the role for, of competition is for the
2: group. We're all competitive. <laughs> we all want to win. Cutthroat people that we take into Voicebox. Every single year, we always take really, really competitive people. And it's it's a drive to perform well and to do good work and to win, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> like There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> but with, with competition, I think the reason why we... Well, personally, I loved competition so much was that I got to have a stage to put my art on. And that's always been the core of it for me because, you know, UCF doesn't have a huge auditorium. We don't have a bunch of mics. We have pretty rudimentary equipment for big performances like that. And so at the time, it was like, if I can get into a competition, if I can get into Sojam, I get to perform. Uh, So I get to have a microphone and perform to like 1500 people and record it and put it online and send it to the internet, you know? And it, I think that's, what's really important is just being able to have a platform to perform on and having a stage to perform on is always been really really important to me and traveling around and seeing the country or seeing the world if you ever get to go to you know <laughs> overseas competitions cuz they exist uh, we just haven't done them yet <laughs> but yeah i think i think that's always been really important to me hmm. for competition
1: how then do you choose
2: when you have that stage what you want to say when you're on it oh it depends it's <laughs> it depends there's a huge like decision making process of picking songs and deciding who gets to solo on those songs and how we are going to arrange them and how we're going to choreograph them. So it's a huge, long process of, like, how we get there. There is a discussion. We, We used to have very long discussions deciding those sets, and they always change even after you decide them because, you know, the music director is like, oh, I arranged this way different than what you expected, or I didn't arrange this song because I didn't like it, so we're going to do a different one. (laughs) 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 So things always change, but when it comes to the initial decision-making process of, like, what are we going to put on the stage? It depends. Again, if we get into a competition say like a boss or a so jam, they give you prompts. They say, here's the prompt, here's the theme and run with it. Go ahead and decide what you want to do with this. And so usually it comes from the interpretation of the theme because we we take the themes very seriously because it's, it's an in, a very interesting exercise and in like, how are we going to interpret this thing? And how are we going to interpret it different from everybody else who's going to perform? And also, how are we going to interpret it in a way that nobody in the audience was expecting? So, or in a way that we can actually do. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think I think it's it's a huge process of deciding that. And we always go through like several ideas before we stick to one. You know, your first idea is always your worst idea. <laughs> so yeah, keep, keep going through ideas until you're like, yes, this one's interesting and it's different and it's cool and we like it, and we can do it on stage.
0: <laughs> so through all of that, you've now gone on to teach classes. What are some of the lessons that you want to get across to other students that are interested in performing acapella?
2: That's an interesting question. I teach a class pretty often that is like set crafting, um, and it's based around the idea of like, when you get into a competition, or when you are in a showcase or something, how do you create an interesting set? And how do you get it across to the audience? And I think my main points in that are always like, there are tips and tricks you can use in a set to make it come across, you know, like, isolating a soloist if you really want them to be if you really want everyone to pay attention to them or things like that where it's like this this is a a bullet point on a list but the other thing that i always say is like treat it like you are an artist and you are creating a piece of art like you're creating something different you are transforming a song into something that makes sense for you and something that you can interpret and uh, it's think of it less of i'm in a singing club and we just kind of meet together every every week two times a week just to have fun. And that's fine. You can have fun. But also, like, there's something to be gained out of it. There's something to be created. And I also say to expand your knowledge outside of acapella and listen to a lot of music from across the spectrum of the world and time listen to classical music listen to stuff from like Indonesia study music from different time periods look up different groups that are not just in the a cappella world because we are so insular and we kind of listen to each other over and over and over again and like we just ha- we make an a cappella playlist and we just listen to that on repeat <laughs> sometimes which is fine but like if you expand your knowledge outside of that you do a little research you will have better ideas for set crafting and you also like i think that you'll take it a little more seriously and and you know view it as as more of an a creative outlet and less of a well i'm wasting my time here just kind of hanging out
1: yeah i think too that it gives you a bit of an edge in terms of you're not necessarily doing the same stuff as everybody else if you expand your pool of of music that you listen to then then maybe you really can bring something more unique yeah into the pool
0: even bringing unique to songs that everybody knows already and i think that's a way that aurora kind of put its stamp on the community which was really nice and seeing people succeed when they do that well is is really a nice thing for me i know that's one of my favorite things to watch
1: mm-hmm. i wanted to ask in your time in voice box you know you were there for pretty much your entire college career, what were some of the changes that you saw the group undergo? And what were some of the changes that you yourself felt like you underwent in your time there?
2: Oh, man, we changed so much from the beginning. When I joined, Voicebox had just formed in the summer, and I joined in the fall. And (laughs) they were like six people and their colors were like light blue. And we wore matching outfits. And the, the men all wore matching blue ties. And it was it was so So different than where we ended up. And if you look back on like the old videos of VoiceBox and they're they're there, but they're like buried. They are hard (laughs) to watch. (laughs) The word I would use is unsavory. (laughs) Unsavory. Unfortunate. But you know, we, we grew a lot. I think the biggest changes that I saw were in kind of the way that we did leadership and then also just like the vibe is is so different and the quality of <laughs> of our music has definitely improved over the years especially from when when we first started i would say for me i have changed so much through Voicebox. i've become a more confident leader i have become a a better singer absolutely i feel like my time in voice box was like one long voice lesson <laughs>
0: I can riff now. <laughs> hey, I'm still working on on the riffing part. Uh, <laughs> all you got to do is just
2: make fun of a riff until you can do it, right? <laughs> That's literally it. You just you make fun of it and then all of a sudden one day you're like, "Wait, I can kind of do it." <laughs> Yeah, I've improved a lot in my voice and in my stage presence. When I first joined, I was like a rock on stage. There's a video of me from like our first quarterfinal ever, and you see me walk across the stage at one point, and I am like hunched over, microphone like by my side, like I just look so uncomfortable on stage. It's like tragic but i i learned a lot from being around such talented people and then also seeing so many incredible groups at different festivals and through different competitions and like almost every rehearsal we would start the rehearsal with like the screen down like in the, the projector screen down and like an acapella video playing we we're just like looking up to people and trying to emulate them so through that it's just it's been a lot of personal improvement for me <laughs> that's a good thing to hear <laughs>
1: For sure. As somebody who was there at the beginning of a group, if there's advice that you might have for groups who are also at the beginning now that you've been through a couple of years and, and made and seen some of those evolutions that the group has had, are there recommendations or advice that you would have for people who are sort of starting out their
2: acapella journey? Yeah, I think it comes down to do a lot of research, watch a lot of videos, figure out who won what and why. If you look up, like, winning performances from different festivals and from ICCA, then you start to notice the patterns of, like, what worked for them, what sounded good, what looked good, you know, find a couple people in your group, if you don't already, who do arrangements, work with them, and just really just emulate the people that you admire and, and find out what works for you guys, what you can take from the groups that have been successful and then also do music that inspires you instead of just like what's popular what can we sing on the college campus that other people will know like try to expand past that and try to pick music that really moves you and really interests you.
0: So before we started our official interview, you mentioned that you've gone through some changes and Mm -hmm. actually thought maybe you weren't eligible to be on this show. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, the show is called Vocal Perspective, and really what Rachel and I wanted to get out of this was to make sure voices that aren't necessarily heard get heard, and people get to voice their opinions. So can you talk a little bit about what's going on for you?
2: Yeah. So um I asked if I've qualified because I identify as non-binary. And for a lot of my life, I thought, well, you know, girl fits, woman fits. And for the past couple of years, like it's been A question mark and it's been something that I've been navigating so it's it's a weird gender is weird (laughs) gender (laughs) is is very strange yeah being a non-binary person is very weird because I feel like I don't really fit in in a lot of places and we had a discussion a bit ago with some other friends about gender and like specifically in acapella like gendered groups and groups that, you know, all female versus all male versus like what terminology we use for it. And and I made a joke and I was like, let's make an acapella group that's just all non-binary people. <laughs> we just only have envies and it's great. <laughs> but yeah, it's a very weird thing to, to navigate because you don't know where you fit in and you don't know what you qualify for. <laughs>
1: Yeah. I wonder like, if you can talk a little bit more about that and how you feel like, do you feel like the community was accepting? Do you feel like the group, how did they respond to the journey that you've been going through with these changes for yourself?
2: Yeah, I think I think definitely the community is very accepting, which is wonderful. People, they don't question it and they just kind of go, cool. And that's, that's wonderful. Just accepting it and just moving on with your life. With me and my whole gender identity weirdness i never i never even really talk about it that much and i definitely didn't when i was in voice box because it was a question mark and i didn't know you know i didn't want to be like i'm non-binary if i didn't really quite know which is a struggle a lot of people go through because gender and sexuality are so nebulous and so strange and ever-changing and one change that i did notice in our group and then also in just the general acape- like a community was just a switch in terminology and from co-ed to like all gender was mm, really nice. Yeah. That felt really good.
1: <laughs> yeah. Have you had a chance to sort of voice your own opinion and how and, and be a part of that conversation?
2: I'm starting to, because I've I've gotten a lot more comfortable in my identity in the past, you know, year or so. And I've been invited to a few conversations about it and it's nice to be able to talk about it because I know a lot of people don't know much about non-binary and what that means. And like, I think it's really nice to be able to talk about it and answer questions and, you know, in a respectful and honest way, because a lot of people are like, what does that mean? And I'm like, well, let me tell you. (laughs) Like,
0: let me educate you in a very kind and (laughs) in a very kind way. And that's appreciated. I know sometimes people get upset if you're asked to explain what you are who you are Mm -hmm. and they're like go look it up you know there's the internet go look (laughs) it up why do I have to teach you but I think it's a good perspective to have that you know you can teach people you can be kind and gentle with them because some of them just genuinely want to know more and want to understand so it's good to hear that because I know it can be really upsetting when people ask like well explain explain yourself to me (laughs) yeah it's it's a little nerve-wracking sometimes because sometimes
2: people ask that and they're a little bit malicious and they're like well, tell me what you are. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> let me try to be nice to you. But I think some people are justified in their anger, because sometimes people are kind of rude about it. And sometimes it's like, it's 2020. <laughs> Google does exist. And but I, I personally don't mind having an open conversation about it. Because I think that knowledge is power. And if you're ignorant by choice, then that's your own fault. But if you just don't know, then let me let me try to help you.
1: I think too, I wonder is there some individuality to what it means to you, right? How do you define? Mm -hmm. Yourself is different. Like, that's a different answer for, in some ways, for every person. And so there isn't necessarily a cookie cutter, one size fits all.
2: Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I have a lot of non binary friends and. Every one of our stories is completely different. And the way that we identify, the way that we present ourselves, the way that we express ourselves through clothes and makeup and hair, and it is all different. And it is a completely different experience for each person. And so it, it, sometimes it is like <laughs> you're asking two different people the same question and they will both answer completely differently.
1: Well, but even in the same way that cisgendered folks have are different, just because you identify as a girl doesn't mean that you fit the stereotype of what girl means. absolutely. And so I I think that the spectrum of it is broad and deep. And Mm -hmm. and I think that that's okay. Yeah, I I think we make assumptions a lot of the time when we say that, well, I'm a girl or I'm a boy about what that actually means about who you are as a human Mm -hmm. being. And I think that that's to our detriment.
2: Absolutely. Humans are like little universes and it just, our brains are just massive. (laughs) Every person is so, so different.
0: I love all of the little phrases that are so poignant that have come up (laughs) on this show. I mean, that one is right up there with I asked Katie McDonald about there's so many different barbershop organizations. Like, why do we need all of them? And she goes, well, would you like more ice cream? And I'm like, yes, exactly. (laughs) Why not make more? So humans as little universes is something that that strikes a chord with me. I really that's a a good one. (laughs) Thank you.
1: So I wonder, as we wrap up our time together, if you can talk a little bit about. You know, sort of where you are in your musical
2: journey now and what's coming up for you in the future. Yeah. So, I last year I auditioned for a couple of groups and, you know, stuff, you, you audition for 50 things and you get 50 no's and that's okay. You know, so, so I haven't really done a lot of acapella stuff recently, um, other than, you know, teaching at Sojam. I wanted to teach at Boss, but then my, my sister's wedding was supposed to happen that weekend and then like things happened. And oh, so, no. uh, that didn't work out, but. In terms of like other music I'm doing, I am writing music. I'm not planning on releasing an album or anything, but we'll see if I make enough music and I am able to and I have the, the resources too. That would be really cool. I have a, a YouTube channel that I upload covers to. <laughs> yeah. Um, All right, let us know what it is so that's people right. can go find oh, you. Oh gosh, I don't even know. I think it's just Christine Sack. I think it's just my name. <laughs> Perfect. You won't be disappointed, listeners. Definitely won't be you're going to you're going to find some covers, you're going to find a few original songs and uh if you go too far back you're going to find some unfortunate videos of me trying to learn how to play the ukulele. <laughs> it's a noble goal. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want some entertainment <laughs> But yeah, other than that, not much.
0: (laughs) I would like to do more, but we'll see. Well, thank you, Christine. It's been really lovely to have you on the show and hear about all of the wonderful things behind the scenes that go into creating a group like VoiceBox. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's fun. Another huge thank you to Christine Sack for joining us on episode 38 of Vocal Perspective. And along the themes of left is right, up is down, and nothing makes any sense anymore, today I'm joined on our outro segment by my husband, Charlie Friday. This is the first and possibly only time we'll have a male identifying guest on the show. But since everything else makes no sense anymore, we figured. Why not? He's here. We can talk. He has some things to say, and I would like for you all to hear them. So Charlie Friday, before he became my husband, was actually my business partner. We started Clear Harmonies together, and we sing in several different groups together. Hi, Charlie. How are you?
3: Hi, Amanda. I'm great. Thanks for having me. It's really, no, it really is an honor. I listen to you (laughs) record this every week, and here I am. Never thought it would happen.
0: You know, he could be saying we're quarantined together and he has no other choice, but here we are. You don't have to admit it. (laughs) Anyway, I think over the last 10 years or so of us doing business together, there has been a pretty large learning curve for both of us. And Charlie is a cisgendered heterosexual white male, which is usually not not the target of this show. However, I think over the course of our business relationship and personal relationship, you've been able to see things differently because you work with me and also our other female identifying staff.
3: Oh, absolutely. It's definitely been a, a really good experience working in what I would say is a, a primarily female company. Uh, I'm kind of the outlier, actually, <laughs> which has been great. I've learned so much from Ellie and from you, and I think also that I've, we've learned from each other in addition. I think I've developed the reputation for being our uh, on-call jerk in the business when (laughs) when we need someone to to crack some heads. But I I think, so I think that there's definitely been a, it's a two-way street of learning. And I have definitely been thinking about like what I've learned from you and Ellie
0: and you know part of the purpose of this podcast and part of my underlying mission and all the work that I do is educating people that don't really understand what it's like and especially for me what it's like to be a woman in a career that has predominantly been male up until very recently and it still is so what were you surprised to learn about when you started working with me and working with Ellie
3: well I think the first thing that comes to mind and it might surprise you is I'm I mean I learned many things from you when we were having our first couple of years of business and working in groups and but I think the the first real sort of head turning moment for me was when we we moved into this house and we started building a studio and we were talking about paint colors and vibes and things like that and you said very specifically that you wanted it to be a creative space that felt good for everybody to be in and that really stuck with me having been in a lot of recording studios I can confirm with 100% accuracy that a lot of them are very not female friendly, they're designed for male comfort. And it's a very it's a very male-centric vibe in most recording studios. And I get that. But there are ways to design them where it is a, a neutral space. And I mean neutral in the fact that it's comfortable and appealing to everybody and not just one segment of the use population.
0: Right. So as Charlie has heard me complain about on a fairly regular basis, is that now that women are showing an interest in this arena and actually showing some pretty great talent, we don't want to be the token female. We don't want to be brought on board to show everybody else, look, see, we diversified. We brought on a girl. What ways have you learned that we just need to be incorporated into the business and not put a gender line up. What ways have you changed and maybe suggest that other people can incorporate those changes in their daily lives or daily business?
3: That's a great question. Well I think that especially in the live arena, which is where I have had most of my higher level experience, that's an even more I hesitate to use the word misogynistic, but that's even even more male dominated space, live production. Although there are, you know, plenty of females that work in that in that space and plenty of people that are non binary as well. I've met many, many people of of all gender identifiers when I've been out on tour and they're all great. I think that what really, it's not, from my perspective, it's not so much Just accepting—I'm just going to use the word women for this as a general as a general speaking point—but not so much accepting women into the space. But you have to change the space also. You can't just say, "Okay, I'm opening the door and the girls can come in." You have to also treat the guys differently. You can't, and that's been been born out of my experience with tour, where I've known several people and myself included. When I'm dealing with other engineers or other production staff, and it's all men, I tend to be a little bit more harsh than I probably should be sometimes in verbal communication with language. When I've been out on tour, I've witnessed a lot of what I would call that same vibe when I was talking about the studio decor and in interactions with tech staff. And I think that it's not so much about just opening the door for all people of all gender identifiers and women included, but I think it's also changing the entire space because how males interact in a group with each other is much different than it's not just welcoming women into that space. You have to change how you interact with those guys in the space. Otherwise, the women will still feel not included. And also to tack onto that, you can't apply the boys' club dynamic to interacting with women because that's just not going to go well for anybody. It's going to be overly harsh, maybe overly crass. And you need to meter your interactions with how everyone you work with
0: everyone. <laughs> yes, and I think sometimes men do believe that being less crass is what women want, and it's it's not so much that. It's we're just as crass, believe me. When we're on our own our mouths, we have potty mouths just like the boys, and it's more of a don't use language where you know you are purposely being intimidating or even subconsciously you don't even realize it, but you use this language to intimidate women or other people that you don't believe belong in your space and that's when we feel like we don't belong there or we have to fight harder to be there.
3: I agree. That's that's <laughs> that's really what I was trying to say proving that I need to work with women like Amanda in all aspects of my career.
0: Charlie enjoys when I call him out on his mansplaining. So it's nice to have this podcast where we can flip the tables a little
3: bit. I do. And I think, though, it's equally important. I think everyone needs to come to the table in these these new times with trying to integrate all genders and, and form a new space that's comfortable for everyone. I think that road goes both ways. I think that men need to make a lot of adjustments in how they're handling it. But I think the understanding that it is a neutral space needs to cross all lines. And everyone, I've found, real success when everyone comes to the table and stays focused on what the goal is of the project and everyone's values are everyone's ideas are valued equally and you can have real good conversations and be be really free flow of information. I'll allow
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you, Charlie, for joining us for the segment. I miss you, Rachel, but Rachel will be back next week for our outro segment. Next week, we will also be sitting down to talk with Amy Rose from Barbershop Harmony Society. That's all for this week. We'll see you next Tuesday.